Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com, and we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. A couple quick notes. Uh, Iowa is Saturday at Beaver Stadium at 3.30, 2 o'clock the airtime. The game in Ann Arbor against Michigan will be a 3.45 kick, and will be on beginning at 2 o'clock. Tim Neverett in a moment. First of all, our play-by-play call of the day. Here's the spot, the kick, airborne, Chandler, Catanzaro, is it, is it, is it, is it, it's good! Oh, Buccaneers win in overtime, 59-yard field goal, Chandler, Catanzaro. One of the old friends, Gene Deckerhoff, with the call. He's not only Florida State's play-by-play guy, he's also the Bucks' play-by-play guy as well. Well, without question, one of the best in the business, and thank goodness for me for Sirius 217, because I find him all the time. But he's one of the best in the business and probably an even better guy. Tim Never joins us. Tim, welcome. Congratulations to the Red Sox on making the World Series and the fact that you get to do it. Well, Steve, thanks very much. It's kind of a thrill. Uh, I should say kind of a thrill. It's a big thrill yeah. to be able to get out of Fenway tomorrow night, bundle up in the 40-degree temperatures, and call baseball this time of year because it's something that, you know, just not accustomed to doing. But, um, you know, fortunately, the Red Sox were so good this year and had a great playoff run and took care of business with the Yankees, uh, took care of business with the Houston Astros, and now they're hoping they can take care of business with the uh, with the Dodgers now. I, I, you know, we're all looking forward to it. It's going to be a great experience, I think. And, uh, you know, this is something that when you start doing baseball, you can only dream about getting an opportunity to do. But tomorrow night, I get to do my first World Series game. I can't wait. Yeah, and I can't wait for you as well. I'm thrilled for you. And that brings us to the part about this team winning 115 games so far. Is it safe to say there is no one formula that has opened the door to win this, winning this many games, especially in the postseason? I don't think there's one. I think that they've just adjusted every day. That you know, if they had some kind of uh, advantage or or thought or whatever it was, you know, they would exploit it. And you know, what was funny is that during the Houston series. Uh, when Justin Verlander was pitching in game four, was it four or five, anyway? Uh, five. Um, you know, there was so much, you know, paranoia about people stealing signs, uh, you know, with with technology and whatever, you know, means necessary. The Red Sox actually used that to their advantage by faking to steal signs. They were giving false signs you know, with runner on second base, giving false signs to the hitter. And Justin Verlander, you know, they were trying to fool him into thinking they had his signs. And so they used some reverse psychology, and it actually worked because Verlander wasn't uh, wasn't his best. It was the first time he'd lost a game that was a deciding game uh, in, in the postseason. And um, 
you know, I mean, the, the Red Sox just said, hey, you know what? If they're going to accuse us of of cheating, let's just pretend to cheat without <laughs> cheating. And uh, it worked. Yeah, it worked all right. Now let's go to the, the flip side of that. There's been some school of thought that Craig Kimbrell might be tipping his pitches, and I, I know he's been aware of it and he's tried to adjust. Uh, what kind of adjustment has it meant? And when Kimbrell is on, what does that do for the Red Sox? Uh, when he's on, it just ends the game. That's what it does. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, it was really bizarre, and it had to be something because uh, we've seen him pitch so much over the last three years that all of a sudden the Yankees had, you know, unusual success against him because, uh, you know, he threw his curveball and got strikes without throwing strikes all the time. He got tons of swings and misses on the curveball, yet the Yankees are all of a sudden laying off the curve. As a team, they're laying off it, and he ends up walking guys as a result. So the Astros apparently had the same thing on him, and it took a while for the Red Sox to figure out what was going on. And for Kimbrell, he really didn't, you know, do anything differently. And he was starting to scratch his head, say, "Why am I not getting chases on my curveball? It's just unusual." So they looked and looked and looked, and they finally figured there might have been something, and they didn't want to say what it was, but there might have been something that where he was tipping that curveball. And so they corrected it, I think. And his last outing, you know, in Game Five was very good. He just he allowed one base runner, but he was pretty well lights out. I think he struck out two in the inning. Uh, and and I'm glad that he seems to be back to uh, the normal Craig Kimbrell just in time. Uh, have you ever heard of a Chris Sale situation as to the way it played out with with Chris Sale about um, jewelry? <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's even true. Yeah, um, I, think, I. I think he's. Yeah, I think he's just playing with the media. Um, <laughs> I, I happened to see him at our hotel in Houston. Uh, you know, drinking a bottle of Pedialyte, and that's if you've been vomiting and things like that, and you restore yeah. electrolytes and whatnot, and. Uh, I can't see any kind of jewelry or anything exterior causing any kind of in you know in, in, infection inside the stomach. So uh, I, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV, but I can pretty <laughs> much deduce that there is no belly button ring fiasco. Yeah. Uh, I have to ask about David Price. I now it's only my opinion, Tim. But I mean, you were there and you saw it. I felt what David Price did in Game 2 set him up for what we saw in Game 5. Um, how did you feel about watching Price in those two games? Yeah, Game 5, he was, you know, that was him at his best. Um, he was really, really good. Uh, you know, he, he mixed his pitches well. He threw a lot of, a lot of fastballs, a lot of inside fastballs. Uh, his changeup was very good, especially early in the game. As Christian Vasquez continued to call for changeup after changeup, but he told me after the game he was just reading swings, and and they kept on throwing the soft stuff, and then you know soft away, high and in, uh, hard, hard and in with the fastball and the two seamer. He got just enough sink on it, so he, he did a, a really good job mixing his pitches. Didn't throw a lot of cutters, but the changeup was his big pitch in Game Five. Uh, game Two. Um, he was just okay, you know. He he was good, but not really that good. Not like we've seen him. Right. But he gave the Red Sox what they needed that night, and uh, you know, then he had some other adjustments that he made, and 
and they just couldn't touch him in game five. I mean, really, it was he didn't have an inning where he faced more than four guys. So uh, it, it was just enough in game two, but in game five, he was lights out. And we hope we see that in game two. He's going to be the game two starter against the Dodgers here Wednesday night. And we hope he can come up with some of that same magic against those guys. And those guys haven't really seen him. Uh, you know, I think uh, I'm guessing maybe the closest guy to have seen him recently would have been maybe Brian Dozier. Yeah. Who, you know, I think probably when he was with the Twins, he might have had a chance to see him, but that's probably it. Uh, Manny Machado, actually. Machado yeah. took him deep this year in what was probably the best game he pitched against the Orioles. Um, he did pitch a complete game, but Machado took him deep in the ninth, and the Red Sox won it, and David was pretty disappointed after it, giving up that home run to Machado. So really, Machado and Dozier are the only guys who have really seen him. Yeah. All right, you have to take us into the booth. Andrew Benatendi made one of the great game-saving catches off Alex Bregman to end the game. Uh, tell us how Joe Castiglione was able to call it. Huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know how it happens, right? The, the bases were just loaded by Kimbrell. Yeah. Two outs. One out, you win the game, right? And they got their best hitter at the plate in Alex Bregman. So, you know, you're on the edge of your seat, literally and figuratively. And so the ball gets hit into left field. I'm, I'm watching the ball at left field. I sit on uh, in Houston. I'm sitting on the left side of the booth. Joe's on the right side of the booth. And so I'm looking out to left field, not at him. And he calls it. And he says, he caught it. Or did he catch it? Yes, he did. And then the next thing you know, I hear, like, this tumbling sound. And I, I look over to my right, head high, and I don't see anybody there. It's like he's disappeared or fallen into the ground or something. And I look on the ground, and there he is laying on his left side. His headphones are, you know, halfway off his head the wrong way. He's tangled up in the cord. <laughs> and, he, and he's laughing. And he kept on calling the play, uh, even though he was on the floor and couldn't see it. <laughs> but, you know, it, I've, I've seen that only one other time, but not in that same circumstance. Uh, 2016, Bob Walk fell out of his chair you know, doing a Pirates broadcast on the radio in Seattle, but he was just leaning back. I mean, Bob had his shoes off. He had his stocking feet up on the table, hands behind his head. He leaned back, and the chair gave way. Oh, and that was that was Bob. But uh, this was totally different. I've never seen a, a, a game-ending call knock an announcer to the floor like that. It was really funny. And, you know, as soon as I saw him laughing, I realized he wasn't hurt. And I said, okay, that's good. So I helped him up and... Uh, we continued on our merry way, and it became quite a quite a story. And uh, you know, we shared it with uh, you know with Ben and Tendi and with a few of the other guys in the clubhouse the next day, and they were all laughing about it. So it was a pretty pretty funny story. I've, I've never seen anything like that particularly, but uh, it's not often. And, and I'm sure you know. I'm sure when uh, the Nittany Lions score, you don't fall out of your chair like that. <laughs> I try not to. If I do, a Jack Ham helps me up. So, <laughs> the, the, uh, I have to ask you about J.D. Martinez. I mean, it, uh, obviously, David Ortiz had a, an incredible season, and then suddenly there's no David Ortiz. And so to fill that D.H. spot, eventually they signed J.D. Martinez. A, what is his approach meant? And B, what was the domino effect J.D. Martinez had in the lineup? I'll start that one first. 
That started in spring training as soon as he showed up, and he started talking hitting in the clubhouse. Everybody gravitated to him, especially Mookie Betts, and it turned into, you know, the, the stuff that he gleaned from Martinez turned into an MVP season for him. Uh, you know, his approach has been more of a technical one because his swing, and he'll be the first to tell you, he doesn't have a natural swing. He uh, calls it compressing the baseball, you know, inside out, uh, get the hands inside the ball and compress the baseball is the science that he uses when he hits. He also uses uh, technology. He uses iPads that are set up um, on either side of the batting cage to uh, videotape every swing, and he, he airdrops it to his iPhone, and he studies it on his phone before the game, and then when the game's over, he gets his game swings. And I mean, this guy is probably the biggest uh, student of hitting I've seen. Uh, and, and the other guys have started to do, you know, similar things. Guys have, uh, you know, used the iPad. A couple of different guys have started to use it, and I think that it's, it's definitely uh, something that has helped. But his whole approach has had a domino effect throughout the clubhouse, throughout the ball club, and you know he's been, you know, uh, you could argue he's the most valuable player internally with the Red Sox because of the. Uh, you know the the effect that he has had on this team. You know, not to mention the numbers he put up certainly help, and, and he hopes will help here in the in the World Series. But he's just been a, a great guy, and a, and he's for the Red Sox, he's worth every penny. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. Now, of anybody out there, you've seen Clayton Kershaw probably as as much as anyone has because of the years working uh, with the Pirates. What has made Kershaw so difficult along the way for people to handle? Even though the Pirates at times had some success with him, but what has made him difficult since obviously he's going to be a guy the Red Sox will have to contend with several times? Yeah, it's funny. I think it was 2015. He had a really long scoreless streak going. And he came to PNC Park, and the very first pitch in the game he threw, Gregory Polanco hit over the right field wall. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, with Kershaw, he's got such great deception with his windup, and his curveball is, is so good. Uh, they have a couple of really good curveballers on their staff. Rich Hill is the other one. But yeah. for, for Kershaw, uh, it's the fact that he can really locate the fastball. He, he, he knows what he's doing out there uh, you know, better than most. And he's had one of the great tutors of all time. He's become very close with Sandy Koufax. And Koufax and he have had many, many discussions on how to get guys out, and they continue to do so. But I think that, uh, you know, I think a lot of it is his deception, his location, and the ability to just induce swings and misses with that, uh, you know, that rainbow curveball that he throws. One final question, Tim. I'll let you go. I thank you so much for this, especially on the eve of something that's going to be very special for you. Uh, and it, that deals with it's been it hasn't been the easiest of year for you personally, you know. And you and, you and I exchanged text messages, uh, but uh, people sometimes don't know how good some of the people are in the game because they're insulated from them. Mookie Betts uh, did something that was really special for you at a really tough time for you. How important was it, and how much does that show everybody what kind of person Mookie Betts is? Yeah, he's he's really uh, as good an athlete as he is. I mean, this is a guy that is going to be the American League MVP. He does the Rubik's Cube in about two minutes. He <laughs> bowls, bowls 300 games, bowls perfect games on tour. 
you know, he's one of those guys you love to hate because he does everything right, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, on, on July 27th, uh, the morning of July 27th, I suddenly lost my father. And uh, my mother told me uh, that morning to make sure I went to work that night. And so I did, and Mookie hit a walk-off homer that I got to call. And so the next day, I went down and talked to Mookie and uh, and uh, told him, you know, what the home run meant because it really helped me get through a tough day. And so he took the bat that he hit the home run with, and we took a picture together with it. And, uh, you know, he was like, he goes, is there anything I can do? Gee, well, I didn't realize, and all of a sudden – stuff and and uh but he said why don't we take a picture and he goes i got the bat he goes let's go out to the batting cage we'll do it out by the by home plate so so we went and did that and that you know that helped and i'll I'll always have that uh you know that picture as a treasure and uh you know i had a baseball in my hand that day too and alex core the red sox manager came up to me and said what are you gonna do with that baseball and i said i'm gonna send it with my dad and he grabs it from me and he throws it away and uh, I go, what are you doing? He goes, come by my office. I'll get you a brand new one out of the box. So, um, you know, so he did. He got me a brand new one, and uh, my family signed the baseball, and it's now with my dad. But uh, So, I mean, everybody around the Red Sox was great to me during that time, and, and uh, Mookie and, and Alex especially. Well, that that's great. And uh, your dad's looking upon looking down upon you right now, very proud of what his son's about to accomplish. So, Best of luck with this. Enjoy every second of it along the way, Tim, because uh, from me to you, you deserve it. Well, thanks, Steve. Appreciate it very much. It's uh, it's going to be a fun ride here, and I think it's going to be a classic World Series. You've got two you know, historically classic teams going at it with the Dodgers and Red Sox, and uh, you know this is, this is one of those things that can be really, really special. So I'm really looking forward to it, and hopefully it turns out we're, we're getting a parade here in a week or so. That'd be nice. <laughs> Yeah, we've got a duck boat reserved just for you if it happens. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Hey, I hope so. Tim, thanks so much, and uh, best of luck with this. And we really appreciate the time you gave us today. It meant a lot. Uh, anytime, Steve, for you. No problem. Tim Neverett, along with Joe Castiglione, the voices of the Boston Red Sox. Tim's a special guy, a great announcer. We'll come back with more in a moment. Brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury, and News Radio 1070 WKOK. Hey, okay. Great to have you with us on the show. Uh,. Let's see. I think if we answered Troy's question, and I agree with uh, Troy's point. I thought Troy was uh, spot on. Uh, more touches for, especially in the run game on Saturday, for a guy like um, Miles Sanders. I just feel like right now he's got, a, for the most part, pretty good feel of what's going on in the running game. They used him well as a receiver. He caught seven passes for 53 yards. I thought he did a good job of that. I thought it loosened up the uh, Indiana defense uh, in the game. Uh, of course, Ohio State lost to Purdue. Purdue was very aggressive in their play calling the entire time. The oddity is this is the same Purdue team that lost to Eastern Michigan, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't, you honestly can't really figure this game out. You really can't. Uh, Dick and Milton brought up something about uh, the television broadcast. We can talk about Penn State's play calling. What, at the end or. 
Didn't say specifically. I guess they were they were red flagging you know, some specific play calling and uh, time management. Was it? Yeah, maybe throwing the football at that time of the game, maybe. Which, of course, if it's incomplete, it stops the clock. Correct. Yeah, like three incompletes okay. in a row. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's again. There's a risk in anything you do. If you run it three times there and, yeah, you run the clock and you don't gain a first down, everyone asks why you didn't throw. If you throw it three times, they ask you why you didn't run. (laughs) News Radio 1070 WKOK. We are Penn State. Sanders breaks a tackle with 50, 45, keeps going 40, swings on his left, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, this is Steve Jones, the Nittany Lions at Iowa in Beaver Stadium. 3.30 the kickoff. We're on beginning at 2 o'clock. Nittany Lions football on News Radio 1070 WKOK. It's sponsored in part by Register Chevrolet and First National Insurance. Forget trick-or-treat. Sunbury Motors Ford is giving you all treats because they have to sell seven new Fords every day now through Halloween. That's right. Now through Halloween, they're doing what it takes to sell seven new Fords every day. Just listen. Ford Escapes from under 20 grand. SMC has 53 2018 Escapes from 19320. Choose from over 61 2018 F-150 trucks starting at 25969 They've sold over 40,000 Ford trucks over the past 103 years and needs to sell seven Fords every day now through Halloween. Buy a 2018 Ford Explorer starting at 31705 SMC has 22 to choose from. There's also 13 2018 Ford Edges from 25390 SMC is making it easier than ever because they need to sell seven new Fords every day now through Halloween. Sunbury Motors Ford in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. For nearly 100 years, Purdy Insurance has been your locally owned, family operated source for insurance products. With a staff of over 20 and partnerships with some of the industry's most trusted companies, Purdy has the experience and resources to get the job done. Whether you need personal home and auto or complex business insurance solutions, Purdy will help you navigate through the process. Call today at 570-286-5855. Or better yet, stop in their Sunbury office to see what Purdy Insurance can do for you. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great to have you with us on the show today. Matt Leon on the Eagles collapse yesterday coming up. That will be tomorrow. Jeff Perlman, author of the book Football for a Buck, The Crazy Rise and Even Crazier Demise of the USFL. Also tomorrow. Uh, Neil Kulong this week. Bob Nightingale USA Today. On Wednesday, by the way, Bob Buner will be on the show as well. We'll have a writer that covers Iowa on the show later in the week, too. I mean, we really... I mean, Got a writer from the Washington Post on in the World Series, too, for Thursday's show. Excellent. Really... Speaking of Thursday, we'll have our final regular season high school football roundtable with the guys. I hope you don't mind me asking, but how did our teams do? Okay. Well. That wasn't the story well, I was expecting. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, 
Seawinds Grove 31-7 losers to Danville. So, Ooh. yeah. And they were Ooh. scoreless. They were scoreless about halfway Ooh. through the second quarter. And then Danville poured it on from there. The uh, uh, Riley to Riley connection uh, started to uh, take shape. And uh, they racked up about four. Danville racked up, I want to say, about 440 yards total offense. So, Ooh. yeah. So the Seals, Seals slip uh, to four and five on the year. Uh, Shikalemi with a tough loss uh, at Shimokin. And Jersey Shore had a one, even though Jersey Shore had a one point loss to Baldigal area, they're still in the driver's seat for Hack One. So if Jersey Shore gets a win Friday night over Central Mountain in their rivalry game, uh, they'll take Hack One, despite what I had said Friday night on game night. So I thought Shimokin would be in the driver's seat. Uh, but uh, since Jersey Shore did uh, beat Shimokin earlier in the season, that's your tiebreaker. So, okay, so and, so uh, Sealands Grove lost. Yep, Lewisburg. Lewisburg also lost, lost to lost and uh, Central Chickalemi, and Chickalemi lost. Yes, yeah. Uh, another great night though for Max wait, Moyers. Wait, you, uh, you, another trip. I passed the Chickalemi thing pretty fast. I did. <laughs> how was the emotional uh, tribute to the coach Dick Hort? It was a very good tribute. Loved it. Um, I didn't actually get a chance to hear it live since I was running game night over on. No Eagle wonder you loved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did hear it two days ahead of time, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's called being a hostage. <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. I couldn't get out of the studio at that point, so. Yeah. But he had a lot of time between the time I heard it and by the time he uh, had the headset on where he could polish it and uh, get it the way he wanted it to sound. and uh, so, But it, it sounded excellent. So I had a chance to catch it on replay. You listen to it on replay? Well, we have some equipment here where we're able to, uh, we have some air check uh, equipment where we're able to pull some audio up. So, um, Am I able to listen to it on replay? I can be able to find it. Yeah, I can find it. No, no, really, don't knock yourself out. All right, so. Uh, <laughs> I can find it within a couple of minutes. No, that, that, that's okay. I don't want to. I don't want to take two of your valuable minutes. <laughs> I'll just assume it was really, really good. Uh, I can that? email it to you before. Then you can listen to it before the Giants game tonight. Then you can listen to it on the iPhone. Okay. No, no it's okay. I'll just I'll just take your word. It was really, really good. It uh, was. I mean, it, 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 uh, how far past kickoff did it end? <laughs> Let's see. Right about seven uh, twelve. No way. He was done long before then. No, no, it was good. He kept was it in Dave, check. He kept it in check time wise. Was uh, Dave Ritchie actually able to speak during the broadcast? Sure. Yeah, he picked his spots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he picked his. Yeah, I know. Believe me, I know. You know when we're out golfing at the Purdy tournament, you know, he picks his spots. You know, to add into the conversation. Yeah. Well, he, because I ask him and bring him into the conversation, right? And so, Dave, what about this? Dave, what about that? Well, it's okay. You don't need to know. I'll I'll answer. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's get to Saturday's game. Penn State winning over Indiana 33 to 28 and uh let's uh bring in Ben Jones stakecollege.com Ben how are you I hope you're doing well 
Hey, Steve, thanks for having me. All right. Uh, you're sitting two seats over from us, albeit on the other side of the glass. So uh, from your view, which was very close to our view, what did you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we saw a game where the ball went through the hoop again for Penn State for to, to continue to steal the basketball analogy. They found a way to close it out at the end. The offense made enough plays. The defense made enough plays and, and stayed. Uh, there, there's certain irony here that Penn State's offense and defense have struggled in games where they haven't been on the field tons, and then Penn State's defense is on the field for 100 Indiana plays and looks fine the entire way through. Obviously, you know, maybe Indiana's not Ohio State or Michigan State, but either way, um, yeah, I think he saw some steps forward. I mean, at the same time, I think he saw a lot of the same issues coming up. Um, but a win is a win, and Penn State will take it. And and ultimately, for a lot of that fourth quarter, they were comfortable, and, and then Indiana had to make it interesting in the end. I would have genuinely felt bad for Penn State <laughs> if they had figured out a way to lose that one after the onside kick. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Shaka Tony was fantastic. I thought Micah Parsons played maybe his best game of the season for them uh there were a lot of good things there were still some bad things but ultimately uh, you know if you're Penn State you're taking wins and you're moving on right and then they were able to take the win and move on in this game um what did you think let's get back to Parsons for a moment what are some elements that you saw that you know, made him stand out in such a way Saturday well, I felt like early in the year that Micah looked like a guy who was never out of the play, even if he was in the wrong place, because he's just so athletic, he's so fast. He's able to make up for his own mistakes. And I thought the thing that he did well on Saturday was he was just in the right place this time. He wasn't having to make up for things. He was just making plays all on his own. He had seven tackles by himself, which led Penn State in terms of solo tackles. Um, so I just thought, you know, you're seeing him understand the game more and more i mean you figure a guy that didn't play linebacker in high school college football is an adjustment to begin with um it was going to take a while for him to get his feet underneath him and i think his athleticism has allowed him to make mistakes um, but i remember talking to brent pry before the season started that he said that mike is a kid that you only have to tell him something once and he understands it and sort of absorbs it so i think you're seeing him uh you know go along this season learning on the fly and getting better and better because of it And i think you saw him you know sort of at his best so far uh, on Saturday. Ben, what about the ability of Indiana, though, to run the ball? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, ultimately that's where Penn State's issues at linebacker in terms of depth and experience um, have been a concern all year and I think will continue to be a concern, especially against Iowa, especially against Wisconsin, especially against Michigan. Um, You know, you've got to be able to get push up front. You've got to be able to win in the trenches. Obviously, you know, I think this is where some of those off-season retirements and injuries issues on the along the defensive front have hurt Penn State um, because they really had to plug in a lot of guys in bigger roles that I don't think they anticipated so far. So that, that's something they've got to share up because I think uh, you know ultimately you're going to face three Big Ten teams in the next three weeks uh, that maybe the game has changed a little bit where they're a little bit more explosive down the field, but ultimately uh, you are always going to think of pounding it between the tackles when you play Wisconsin, that's not going to change anytime soon. That's not going to change for Iowa or Michigan, probably especially Michigan uh, with Jim Harbaugh these days. So yeah, that is definitely something uh, you know, Penn State's going to have to figure out, starting at the linebackers, starting at the defensive line. Um, and for as good as Garrett Taylor has been in coverage, I do think that you know they missed that Marcus Allen guy who was probably a better guy in the run than he was um, in coverage. But obviously Garrett Taylor has also been probably Penn State's most consistent defensive player this year, so it's hard to knock uh, his production either. In no way, shape, or form am I uh, condemning anybody over the targeted call. None. Zero. Uh, I do have an issue about uh, deliberate versus 
um, inadvertent, and that deals with being out the first half of the next game. How did you view the Garrett Taylor play? Yeah, I mean, at the first glance, you know, just sort of like absorbing everything that's happening, I went, oh, that's targeting, and then you watch it more and more. Um, I, I think it's always tough because slow motion makes everything look like uh, targeting. Um, you know, ultimately, I think I agree with James Franklin's assessment that there's a difference between this sort of defenseless player just getting, you know, whacked with the crown of the helmet um, and this, you know, the sort of situation that Taylor was in where he's low, the, the offensive player is low, um, and you end up with this sort of inadvertent contact. Um, you know, so I, I think there is some issues there. I kind of understand the call because they're trying so hard to get that side kind of thing out of the game. Agreed. Uh, but ultimately, I, I don't think that, you know, obviously we know that Garrett Taylor did try and do that. Right. And I don't think anyone's accusing him of that. Um, but I do think he's sort of in a tough situation uh, in terms of how exactly are you supposed to tackle people. It kind of reminds me of the NFL preseason when they were dealing with some of that and you watch guys make plays that seem so normal getting called for things. Um, you know, it would be it would be nice in hockey. They have a review process uh, after the fact. You can take it to the league and say, right. you know, what do you think about this? Because I do think Garrett Taylor uh, missing the first half against Iowa is something that Penn State's going to have to figure out how to manage. And if it's a play that you know he tries to take a guy's head off, then you know, give him that half. He deserves it. Um, but if it's something where ultimately you miss most of the second half of that game um, and then miss the first half, and you didn't really mean to do it in the first place. Um, there might be some. There ought to be some way to kind of have a, yeah. a, a review mechanism there. Yeah, to me, Sunday should be a day where okay, how many targeting calls were there in the league? And I think you know, Bill Carollo and two other guys can sit down as experienced hands, look at those tapes, and say, okay, out, out, out. Nah, that was inadvertent. Nah, that was inadvertent. It's just wrong place, wrong wrong time in each one. I think they're smart enough to do that, and I think you do it on Sunday. That way, both teams know who's in and who's out. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. And I don't even have a problem, you know, reviewing it in the game and saying Taylor's still got to go because I do think there's got to be a way to enforce or oh, yeah. really, uh, you know, support the idea that we can't be having those hits. But certainly, you know, that, that Sunday review and get him back out there next week, I think that's, that's acceptable. Yeah, I don't want to open the door for anybody to think they can deliberately do it because they're going to get bailed out in a review. I mean that that part I don't I don't want to have happen. So I understand the penalty part. I'm talking about it's the next week, and, I, and I'm not just talking about Garrett Taylor. I'm talking about across college football. You sit back and I'm watching games, saying, "I mean that guy's going to miss the second half of the game of his game next week because of that." And that's what I, when, when I'm looking at it. How'd you look at the Penn State offense? Um, well, you know they do a little bit of everything. They do some good stuff. They do some bad stuff. I mean, I never would have thought that in a time where Trace McSorley was still the quarterback that they would have scored over thirty points, and he wouldn't have thrown for a touchdown. Certainly, uh, you know, there, there's a probable touchdown that hits Mac Hippenhammer in the hands um, that that doesn't get caught. I, I think that's really the biggest issue right now. You know, I think Trace is running a lot more because he has to. I think he's trying to figure out a way to get the ball to people so they can catch it. Um, you know, it, it's a weird spot that they're in because I think Miles Sanders has proven all year um, that, you know, he's a very good running back. I think Miles Sanders is yes, exceptionally is. good for, for Penn State this year. To a certain extent, and not to sound like an idiot here, but to a certain extent, he's more effective than Saquon ever was in terms of just sort of down-to-down uh, ability to get you five yards. So I think he's been fantastic. But, you know, if your best players are quarterback and your biggest issue on offense is sort of inconsistent ability to catch the ball, um, you know, I thought that one of the things that stuck out to me that probably is a, a marker of how much Penn State has struggled in that area this year 
is a couple of those Indiana drives in the first half, their receivers are making these great catches, and you're like, wow, that looks really good, and it just reminds you of how good Deshaun was at that, how good Mike Kosicki was at that, because they caught those sorts of passes all the time. So I think, uh, you know, for Trace, it's a sort of a learning curve of how do you handle this sort of situation, and he's got the utmost uh, trust in these guys, and at least that's what he says, and he doesn't really have a choice. He's got to throw these open. Uh, but at this point, you know, there are a lot of plays over the course of this season that you go, is this game a little different or a little bit easier if these guys are catching these passes? And, uh, you know, they talk about the little details taking care of the big things. And right now, uh, I don't think there's any question that this offense has got the talent. They've just got to find the consistency. Uh, Miles Sanders was also used extensively in the past game. He had a career high in receiving yardage. How does he look to you as a receiver, especially in the open field? Yeah, I mean, you you look at what he was able to do this past weekend and you kind of wonder why it took him this long to do it. Obviously, you've got to develop trust in that package and it's got to work. It's a little bit, you know, everybody goes, oh, why are you running the Tommy Stevens package? And then it works and everyone goes, oh, it was a great idea. So, you know, I'm I'm willing to (laughs) give them the the benefit of, uh, uh, you know, Miles working up to that. But I thought he looked great. I mean, he has big shoes to fill in terms of what people expect him to do with the ball after he catches it because that was really where Saquon shine but i think yeah. you know if if you've got a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield he's looked great in space this year um you know i i think he's done a great job uh, or did a great job this past weekend and i'm sure it's going to be something that they lean on uh moving forward then again you look back at you know iowa last year uh you know when penn state threw it to saquon a million times and then didn't really go back to that as heavily in the ensuing week so you never know uh, but I, I thought in terms of him doing his job, he caught everything. I think he caught all of his targets, or at least all the reasonable ones. Um, and he looked great after the catch. And that's really, you know, that's the biggest That's the biggest thing with these guys is, you know, KJ, uh, you know, is outstanding with the ball in his hands. He's just not as good at catching it as he is running with it. Same with Juwan, same with pretty much everybody. So I think if you've got a guy that you can run out of the backfield, he can catch the ball and make plays, uh, you know, you rocket up that list of things they're going to use. Uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, no question about that. Um, what about the young players? Uh, Daniel George and Jahan Dotson got into the game for the second time this season, so in order to maintain freshman eligibility, they have two more to go. What do you think about the kids? Yeah, I mean, Dotson caught it, so he caught two. Or Yeah, he, he did well. Cam Sullivan-Brown, I think, had two he catches did. in a row and then a drop, so he kind of like, he did. he's officially a Penn State wide receiver again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, brutal. <laughs> I know it's tough. It's tough. No, but I thought these young guys looked good, and and really, you know, it's about, you know, I'm not going to tell you you anything that you don't know, but I think a lot of, uh, you know, Zach Mills getting plugged in in a situation where he wasn't expecting it and playing well, guys getting plugged in throughout the course of Penn State's history that have gone on to do great things, and I think if you're a guy like Dotson, you go, you know, maybe I'm not Juwan Johnson, maybe I'm not KJ Hamler right now. Uh, but they're going to put me out here. I'm going to make the most of my opportunities, and I, I think those guys have done it. Obviously, going to be a learning curve. There's going to be some bumps and downs, but uh, you know, much like Pat Farmer, I still can't say his last name. Far- Farmuth. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. I'm I'm, a, I'm the one that is supposed to say it. So, yeah, I just write it. I don't have to say it. But <laughs> That's like, right. he, he's been exceptional in his role yeah. when they've asked him to do things. So I think all of these younger guys. Um, you can see why the recruiting has been so good and mm-hmm. where that talent is coming in. Uh, but like like everything, and like James will say time and time again, recruiting is half the battle. you just got to get it to show up on the field. What do you think of Iowa? Uh, well, it's Iowa. 
I mean, Iowa doesn't. Not thing about you know some of these Big Ten teams is you know I hadn't watched Indiana all that much until last week, and then I went and looked, and I was like, okay. And you watch Iowa, and it could be a YouTube clip for many of the past ten years. So you know you're going to get a physical team up front. You're going to get good running backs. You're going to get a confident quarterback. Kirk Ferentz knows what he's doing. So I, I think this is a good test for Penn State because they've been getting punched in the mouth and, and finding ways to stay in games and finding ways to lose games and finding ways to make things interesting. And Iowa's going to be a team that's going to come in and try and beat them up. So, you know, for a young team that's, you know, two-thirds of the way through the year or whatever technically the fraction is at this point, um, you know, it's a big opportunity for them to kind of take a step forward because, uh, you know, Iowa, for whatever their record might be year in or year out, I think if you're able to beat Iowa, um, you know, you, you've got a claim to say that you're one of the better teams in the conference and a team uh, that knows how to win a physical Big Ten game. Ben, thanks so much. Appreciate the time. It's great seeing you Saturday. Yep, thanks for having me, Steve. All right, Ben Jones, statecollege.com. We'll wrap things up in a moment. Brought to you by Purdy Insurance on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Sean and I were talking about. High school football. I, I didn't bring up a key word to you, Sean. Right? Maybe I do this like the Premier League relegation. <laughs> if there's only so many more teams in District Four Quad A, but we only got five. Well, I mean, the uh, that is one thing about fans in England. I was reading this article. I think it was when I went to Ireland. And I was reading an article on the plane and how. Fans in Great Britain actually enjoy watching MLS. And one of the reasons they enjoy watching MLS is they get to see players that have come through the Premier League now at the tail end of their careers just trying to make some cash playing MLS. Wayne Rooney would be perfect, right? Good example? Okay. Yep, DC United, right? Right. So they enjoy that. But they are absolutely confused by the fact that at the end of the season – Nobody gets relegated. <laughs> it just it drives them crazy. Now, what, how many? What four teams in the Premier League get relegated? I believe it's uh, three. Three. Yes, Th- three. Now, Leicester City have been relegated, got back, and then won a championship. Yep, and they've been still in the uh, they've been still in the Premier League since they haven't been knocked out since. So. They're still up top. That's that's one thing that that confuses them completely as fans in in England. They don't understand, for example, why Atlanta is not (laughs) relegated. (laughs) And I good one. Why they still allowed to play with the top teams? (laughs) And I don't know if if Atlanta's any good or not. I have no idea. Uh, Actually, I think Atlanta's pretty well, doing pretty well. Last I saw, uh, my nephew's getting hooked on soccer a little bit once he finished with uh, baseball this past season. I think Atlanta's like a top three team, I believe. Well, then they can't be relegated. That's right. And Seattle's out. They're fine. Uh, let's see. I would think Sporting Kansas City, is st- they're good. Hey, by the way, they're trying to save Columbus. In MLS. That's a hotbed for soccer. I don't get that as to why they uh, want to leave there. It's an ownership thing. And and, uh, the owners of the Cleveland Browns have stepped in, and it looks like they are now attempting to buy a share and keep the team there instead of moving it to Austin. 
Good for them. That's and good. you are stunned and shocked I even know this. I'm glad you know that. No, I'm not stunned at all. You're in the loop on more more things than people realize. Well, I'm on the loop on other things, too, where you sit back and go, <laughs> a team with some of these records never made postseason play in any league ever. <laughs> I'm not big on that. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.